Hello, welcome back to the Weights of Brain Cells podcast. As always, we got a great show for you today. Me and I actually really enjoyed this conversation today with Logan. We went over the NCAA National Championship, uh, which was Baylor versus Gonzaga, and to everyone's, uh, I think, uh, like to everyone's surprise, um, Baylor destroyed Gonzaga. I mean, I think almost most people like had Gonzaga as a favorite. So shocking game we go over. Also, in some other basketball news, Roy Williams retired, and now uh, UNC now has their new coach. So. Of course, you know, Logan being the big Carolina fan, we had to go over that, the future of college basketball. And then the big first movie of the year, Godzilla vs. Kong. Me and Logan saw it in theaters earlier this week, so of course we'll give you the review on that. And by the way, there's spoilers for that, so if you haven't seen the movie and you really want to see it, don't watch that part. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to this week's Sports Talk on the Wasted Brain Cells Podcast. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the national championship game in college basketball between Baylor and Gonzaga, the battle of the two Giants, the teams that have been number one and number two pretty much the whole year. And honestly, the game sadly did not live up to the hype in all honesty because Baylor ended up steamrolling Gonzaga 86-70 to to win the first national championship in school history. And so Brad, what did you think about this national championship game and how did you? what were your reactions to it? I mean, for me, the only thing that was really stood out to me was Baylor came to play. Gonzaga really didn't. Um, Gonzaga just could not hit anything from three, and you know they're one that they're they're like the highest scoring team in college basketball. Gonzaga is, and they were held to um, seventy points, um, which still that's a, a lot of points, but not what I think they usually average like eighty. So that was a shocker. But Baylor, I mean, they were hitting everything. And the thing that I haven't really, like, see, I haven't watched Baylor play a whole lot this season. But what I saw from them that um, really just, I think, made them win the game was their defense. Like, they shut down um, the guards outside. And, you know, they, they did a good job down low guarding Timmy. Uh, so he couldn't get anything going down low, which is where... Uh, Gonzaga really gets, like, really kills you because they have some good outside shooters, but then they can pass it inside to Drew Timmy, and then he just goes off. But that, but Baylor did a good job of not letting that happen. And they just played great um, on both ends of the court. And their two-star guards, Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler, just both went off. I think Jared Butler had 22 points, Davion Mitchell had 15. And so, yeah, Baylor just... They did everything right, and Gonzaga just could not stay with them. Every time I thought Gonzaga was going to get back in the game, Baylor just can another three. And so, yeah, I, I was really hoping this would be a close game and a great championship game because I thought it was. You know, Baylor-Gonzaga, they were both like the one and two in college basketball for most of the season. And so I thought this game was going to be very close. But Baylor um, proved that, hey, they were... Um, the number, really the top team, you know, um, going like in the season, because, you know, they were ranked number two for a long time, but then, you know, um, some of these Big Ten teams like Illinois and Michigan kind of then took them out of like, you know, being ranked number two, but Baylor showed all, all this tournament that um, they shouldn't have been like counted out at all, because I think towards the end of the college basketball season, no one was talking about them as much, but they proved everyone wrong and um, just just 
beat everyone, I think, pretty well in this tournament. So, Logan, what, like, what stood out to you during this game? Well, going into this game, I was thinking earlier, has Gonzaga even really been, like, battle-tested all year? Because they've had pretty much kind of an easy route to the championship game. I mean, they didn't even have to play, like, a top... They didn't play a top-four seed before this game. and Because pretty much the only team that really gave them any... Like, that made them sweat was UCLA. And I feel like, like UCLA's better than the 11 seed. They proved they're pretty much one of the best teams this year. But I, don't know, I thought that was a little concerning going in. I'm like, okay, they barely beat UCLA. They couldn't really guard Juzang. How are they going to do against these Baylor guards? Because these Baylor guards are shifty. They're fast. They make a lot of plays. They're tough. And Baylor, on the other hand, Baylor just steamrolled everyone they played. Like, they had the lead the whole time against Arkansas. Straight up outplayed a very fast-paced Arkansas team. Destroyed Houston in the Final Four. Like, they didn't even have to sweat against Houston. I was like, Baylor's been more battle-tested. They play in the Big 12, a tougher conference. I think the reason, I mean, the big storyline was Gonzaga's undefeated, but we got to keep it real. Gonzaga's undefeated because their conference is horrible. Like, they, they don't play, like, any competition in their conference. Like, if Gonzaga was in the Big 12, Big 10, ACC, they would still be, like, really good. They wouldn't be, like, they wouldn't be undefeated. There's no reason they would be undefeated in that conference. So, you go in, and Baylor just blitzes Gonzaga to start the game. They're firing on all cylinders. First possession, I'm pretty sure they got, like, two offensive rebounds. I think that just set the tone. They were out-rebounding Gonzaga. They were making more threes than Gonzaga. Baylor shot 43% from the three-point line. That's really good. Shot 89% from the free throw line. That's very good. They forced way... They got less turnovers in Gonzaga. Like I said, way better ball movement. They were just blitzing everything. Like, these Baylor guards are legit playing defense. Like, you ever noticed during the game, whenever they would get Timmy on a guard, he, he couldn't guard any of those guards. They were just getting by him the whole time. Yeah. Mitchell and Butler, M Mitchell and Butler are fast. Like they were. They are really fast. And Mitchell is shifty. Like oh my lord, I, he he crossed somebody up one time. And I, oh yeah, so yeah. He crossed the guy up and then stepped back for three and swished it. Yeah. It was dirty. <laughs> They're so good, dude. They just play so fast paced. I just feel like Gonzaga hadn't played that type of toughness. Like you can tell Baylor hits the weight room. And yeah. also, I feel like what really opened this game up at first was Jalen Suggs had two fouls. Like, in the first three minutes. And after mm -hmm. that, Gonzaga, in my opinion... Jalen Suggs is the anchor for Gonzaga. Like, I don't think this game really hurt his draft stock. I thought he still played a very good game. No, he had, like, just... 22 points still, Yeah, I think. he was not bad at all. Like, he's... You can tell... Jalen Suggs is way better than his stats show. Because his stats, he only averages, like, 15 a game. But his impact's incredible. Because whenever he's out the game, Gonzaga just couldn't do anything. They can't move the ball. Yeah, and I'm gonna be honest, you know... Suggs still played, like, a decently well game... You know, you would think, you know, since it was a championship game, if they wanted, to, if they won, I would say Suggs would probably had like thirty something points. But really, what killed them is, uh, you know, Suggs played very good, but then um, Corey Kispert and Drew Timmy just didn't do anything, and those are their two like very big key role players. Like after um, Jalen Suggs is, um, you know, Kispert and Timmy who really lead this team, and they just did not play good. Kispert couldn't really hit anything from three. And Timmy, like, he was just locked up on defense. Like, I think Baylor, like, took the ball away from him, like, three different times, like, for steals. It was crazy. And, like, Timmy... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and like you said, like, Baylor just offensive... Their offensive rebounds were insane. Like, they just kept on just grabbing it off the glass and then just getting, like, second um, chance shots. And that's really what also killed Gonzaga. 
Gonzaga just straight up got outplayed. Like I can't yes. think of a single thing they did better than Baylor. Baylor did. This is just a, a this is a prime example of a team just getting outplayed. There's nothing Gonzaga did better than Baylor. I I, I would say though at halftime I wasn't counting them out because it was only ten. I was like, okay, right. you know this is Gonzaga can do this. Come on, they got all these bigs. They can do it. They cut it to nine at one point, and I was like, okay, I think we're probably in for a good finish. This is gonna be a good game. Baylor had an answer for everything. They didn't fold under pressure. They were just calm and all that. And Scott Drew, we got to give him credit. He pulled off, like, the best rebuild in college basketball. Like, Baylor was so bad years ago. It took him a while, but he, he pulled off a successful rebuild, and it's amazing. And uh, you got to also think about this. Mark Few now 0-2 in championship games. I'm sure that, that, that hurts his resume because the only thing he needs is a championship. And I think he'll get one eventually. But, I right, think he will Mark, get one. I think eventually. he will, but... I think Gonzaga, you got to realize, though, I don't know if you agree with me on this or not, Brad, they need to start getting more competition because I know they beat Virginia, yes. they beat West Virginia, but when you get into them conference games late in the year and you're not really getting tested, you're winning everything by double digits, and then your tournament path, no offense, is pretty easy, too. Right. When you get to the Final Four, you're going to struggle. Like They, I, they barely beat UCLA. It took a, it took the best one of the best shots ever to beat UCLA. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna be honest. In that conference, you know, uh, you know, because everyone was always saying with Gonzaga, well, they never played anyone good in their conference, but they went six and zero against the AP top twenty-five. But here's what kills them, you know, they do that, you know, when they're in their non-conference games, and so you know they're usually playing like Kansas or Michigan State or some other big team that's always like ranked like one two or three at the beginning of the season but i'm going to be honest when it comes to college basketball and the ranking at the beginning of the season let's be honest the top 25 the first couple weeks is always wrong because i mean i think kentucky was up there and a few other teams that duke was a top 10 team yeah right there's like some teams that are just in the top 25 who just like are not a top 25 team and then they just collapse and then have a terrible season so that that's what i think kills gonzaga is that they have these top 25 matchups at the beginning of the season and you know it's like oh well they beat you know the fourth ranked team in the nation but then you see maybe that team after that game just collapsed and wasn't even so was it shouldn't have even been in the top 25 so i think that's what kills gonzaga is they beat the teams that are supposed to be good at the beginning of the season and so yeah their conference they don't have any competition there i honestly think with how good gonzaga has played the past i don't know like while like they always make the tournament and they always win a couple games now before they were making like the championship game like i think they did um before and and this year, like, just of how good they've played and how they reach the tournament every year, I think they should honestly try to get into a better conference. Like, I think they should get out of this conference and possibly go to, you know, since they're out west, maybe like the Pac-12 or something. Because the Pac-12 actually was really good in this tournament. I think they should really go to a Power 5 conference in basketball. I don't know how that would work, though, because they don't have a football team. So I think there's, like... Well, yeah, but no, there's teams that are in certain conferences that don't play football as well, like Villanova. I don't think they have football, and they're in the American Conference. No, they're in the Big East. The Big East. Yeah, well, I don't think any of the Big East teams really have football. None of the Big East. Gonzaga could go to the Big East. I feel like Gonzaga could go to the Big East. Yeah, they could do that. Or, I mean, honestly, but there are teams that are in conferences for different sports who don't have, like, 
a sports team and somewhere else like um Notre Dame is a good example like they're in the ACC for basketball and I think every other sport except football I I I don't think you have to like play every sport to be in a conference though okay so like I think they could go in the big 12 or Pac-12 honestly do you think this is still the best Gonzaga team ever would you take the one in 2017 because I feel like last night kind of changed that for me yeah, it might have changed it. I just think uh, just how good the Jalen Suggs is as a player. Yeah. Well, the 2017 team, like, as a Carolina fan, that game scared me. Because, honestly, that game could have gone either way. Gonzaga could have yeah. won that game. I'll be honest. But that team had some, like, quality bigs, though. I'm going to be honest. If their bigs would have made more layups, they would have won that game. Because right. they were able – that team, in my opinion, actually went the distance. They actually played some – I feel like they were more battle-tested, that team. they beat – way better teams than this one yeah and now that gonzaga's really been reaching the championship game more because i remember like before 2017 it's like oh gonzaga would always be that team who'd make the tournament but then they'd always like get knocked out in the sweet 16 or something like that um but i think gonzaga's proven themselves that hey we could be one of the top teams in college basketball and i really think you know now because let's be honest suggs will probably go to the draft um kispert's a senior they're all going to the draft, I think. Timmy yeah, probably... I don't know about Timmy. I don't think, Tim, I, I don't think, I think Timmy, Timmy's not ready for yeah, the Yeah, I don't, I think he should stay a couple years before he goes to the draft. He needs one more year. He gets blown by too easily. Right. He's, he's, he's just a post player. Like, that's not, in today's NBA, you got to be more than a post player, pretty much. Yeah, and so I think it'll take um, Gonzaga a couple years to rebuild to get back to the championship game. But I honestly think Gonzaga has proven themselves that they can go into a uh, way tougher conference than, like, what they're in. What was it, like, the Western Coast Conference or something like that? West Coast Conference, something yeah. like something. I the WCC, play, that's all I know. <laughs> they play teams I've never heard of every time. Yeah. Well, what could also change that program, though? Suggs was the first five-star recruit they've ever got, so they're probably going to get a few more of those now. Yeah, Suggs is their best recruit ever, so I think now, especially with recruits coming in, seeing how good Gonzaga is as a program, I think you're right, they'll start getting some better recruits so logan now i say uh we turn our attention to something else um in the future going into the future of college basketball which is uh carolina who their coach roy williams after i don't know how like 30 years i think of coaching 33 years yeah, total th- right 15 at kansas 18 in north carolina right I'm he is sure now right. retiring and he announced his retirement, I think, on the worst day you could announce retirement on, which was April Fool's Day, and a lot of people really thought it was a joke, but it wasn't. But, I mean, he's just such a great coach, and so now that he's gone, Logan, what's the future for Carolina basketball? The future, I don't know what to say, because it was just, I guess you could say, this retirement was shocking, though, I will say that, because Carolina managed to keep this quiet for I don't know how long, because in a day where everything leaks early, or the Schefters will leak it the day before it's supposed to, this wasn't leaked. This was just the the first people to announce this was Carolina basketball themselves, which I thought it was an April Fool's joke because everyone's doing it. And then I saw it got reposted, and reposted, and then like ten minutes later it was official. I was like, oh no. But the last two years of Carolina basketball, they have been disappointing. I mean, two years ago you go fourteen and nineteen. This year, like I said, you get you lose in the first round. It's the first time Roy Waves ever lost in the first round, and you could just tell how emotional he was. And then with all the transfers going on in college basketball, how different it's changed. I think it just made him realize that the game's changing and just – he said he wasn't the right man for the job anymore. And, I mean, some of it was kind of his fault the last couple of years, but I wouldn't blame it all on him. 
that 14 and 19 year, which is the that was a combination of so many horrible things: roster build, injuries, just the team really not being not have any depth. And then last year they were just so young. I just feel like that team was very young, and I thought I didn't think Roy Williams would retire because he had a core. I'm like, we have a core now that we can develop. I'm like, this team's in good hands. But going in, I was kind of nervous. I'm like, who can Carolina get as their head coach? Are they going to stay local? Are they going to get like a Hubert Davis, Wes Miller, Steve Robinson, Jerry Stackhouse? Try to keep that connection close. Or is Carolina going to go outside the box, hit for the big guns? I was hoping they could get like a Jay Ride, a Mark Few, Tony Bennett, a coach that's already had experience, has won a championship, or has been to a championship, knows what it takes to win. And they weren't able to pull that off. Jay Wright wasn't interested. I'm sure Tony Bennett and Mark Few don't want to move on from where they're at. Scott Drew's not moving off where he wants to move on at. I mean, you can take a swing for like Alabama's head coach or the old Michigan coach, John Beeline, but... I think Carolina wanted to stay in the family, and they hired Hubert Davis. And like many people, I'm very optimistic about this. I don't want to give like a firm opinion on it just yet because I want to watch him coach, want to see how he does before I really say anything because you can't really bash or praise somebody before you've seen him actually do something because then you're going to have to eat words one way or the other. But he's been under Roy for like since 2012. He helped us win the 2017 National Championship. He played under Dean Smith, so he's been under Roy and Dean Smith. He knows the best of both. He was a really good three-point shooter. I think that's going to translate in today's game with all the three-point shooting going on. He has NBA experience. He played the NBA for like over 10 years, so I think it's going to help players. Players are going to want to play for somebody who knows what it takes to get to the NBA. And with how guard-heavy UNC is going to be next year, because all their bigs are the bigs are in jeopardy. I don't know what Garrison Brooks is doing. I don't know if he's coming back. They were on sharp left for the draft. Kessler's thinking about transferring, but they're trying to talk him into coming back, so I don't know what's going on. I think all they have next year at the Bigs is Baycott, pretty much for sure. But I look at how guard heavy UNC is next year. You got Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, Kerwin Walton, Anthony Harris, Leaky Black, who's six foot eight but pretty much plays like a point guard. It's a guard heavy team next year. If you have a former guard coach in that team, I think you're gonna have a lot of success. And I think he's a really good guy. He's learned a lot from Roy. And I don't think it's a bad hire. It's not bad keeping it in the family. And I think I don't know if next year they're going to be like a contender again, but I definitely think they'll be, they'll definitely make it past the first round next year, in my opinion. All right. Um, I also have another question. This year, college basketball was really crazy because all the blue blood teams, Kentucky, Duke, Carolina, a lot of other historically good te- um, basketball teams were not good this year. And I think I saw it all with, um, especially Duke and Kentucky. Um, a little bit with Carolina at the beginning of the year is, um, you know, all these star players who, like, are good recruits, just these teams just didn't come together, and there was just no good chemistry. I think Carolina, you know, who got in the tournament, you know, they turned it on a little bit, and I think they had some good chemistry. I think what was the fall of Carolina was because they didn't have really too many good shooters. But, I mean, I saw this with Duke and Kentucky. They just couldn't play as a team. Um and so, is this, like, you think maybe the start of the end of the Blue Bloods in college basketball? Like, do you think there's going to be a down period here? Because I don't know how lo- much longer Coach K is going to coach in basketball. I'm going to be honest. Kentucky, ever since, you know, they had that really good team in 2015. And they had a few good teams after that. But ever since, like, 2017, Kentucky's really just been kind of dead. Like, do you think, you know, there's going to be some new rising teams like Gonzaga and Baylor 
starting to be like the helm of college basketball for a while. Because I'm going to be honest, these Blue Blood teams, like, they're never, like, not going to be bad. But you think there's going to be a time here, you know, after, you know, um, Coach K retires and um, um, Coach Calipari retires. Do you think there's going to be, like, a time where there's other teams, you know, starting to become the head of college basketball? Well, the reason you're seeing these, like, smaller teams be the head of college basketball is because I've always believed they're doing it the right way. To win in college, if you really care about winning in college, you got to get guys that are staying. Like, you got to get guys who kind of know they're not really good enough to play in the NBA right now, so they'll stay for years and years because look at the past national champions. Look at Baylor. These guys stayed. Virginia, you had players stay like Guy, Jerome, Hunter. They all stayed. Villanova had guys stay for all those championships. The last Carolina team that won it, didn't have they had one one and done, but he wasn't really the star of the team. You need veterans to win. That's always been a thing. And with Duke and Kentucky, these guys leave at year after year after year to year. Those freshmen can only carry you like they can only carry you so far. Like they can't really. Besides 2012 in Kentucky when they won it with Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, them one and dones haven't worked out. Besides 2015 with Duke, where he had Jaleel Okafor, Tyus Jones, Justice Winslow, that didn't work out. And you got to look at—I look at Kentucky more than I look at Duke for failure, because Kentucky's been kind of disappointing a lot recently. Like, I know they had that undefeated season, but other than that, they've been really disappointing. Duke—you look at Duke. Duke had two of the best teams, in my opinion, never reached the Final Four. Look back to when you had—do you remember the team with Marvin Bagley, Gary Trent, Grayson Allen— Yes, Duvall. that team. Mm-hmm. That team was stacked. That team was amazing. I, I think they should have beat Kansas, but they didn't. They didn't reach the. They didn't make the Final Four. And then I don't see how Duke. And, I mean, that team was problematic, but Duke literally had Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, Trey Jones, yes. and then Marquis Bolden, a bunch of five stars. They couldn't do it because you can't have these one and done. You need to have veterans. Right. And that team didn't have any veterans. I feel like. These teams are focusing now so much on one and dones that people aren't staying anymore. You can't really establish veteran presence. So I feel like veteran heavy teams are going to start dominating now that you have juniors and seniors staying. And with Kentucky and Duke, I feel like all these players really care about is the one and dones and all that. And also, if you ever notice, the number one recruits in all these classes, they're not going there anymore. Like Kate Cunningham went to Oklahoma State. The top five now are going to places where they can, you know, really show off their talents and get more minutes. So. They're not getting the number one recruits anymore. They're just getting a bunch of lower five stars, and it's just not working out for them. So yeah, I don't think I, it'll be a downfall, but I, really, I, don't, I don't think they're going to dominate as much. You know, you brought up a good point. I really want to talk about one and done in college basketball. I I like I think that should still like be there. Like that there can be a one and done, but I really think players should not do one and done. Um, I mean, unless it's like. The, you know, number one recruit who, you know, is going to definitely go like one or two in the NBA draft. But I really don't think, I really think one and done just isn't something that a college basketball player should do. Because, it, you know, you're kind of straight out of high school and you only have one year of college. Now there's going to be, you know, some player, like, for the most part, like, they'll be really good. But I really don't think you should just go from immediately you're done with high school, one year of college, and then you're in the NBA. I really think that, I mean, that the development that you get at college basketball, especially, like, if you're going to, like, a team like Carolina or Duke under, like, some great coaches, like, you, I think that development is just going to be uh, very good and helps you develop into a way better player because right as you go in the NBA, then like it's really kind of 
I guess a lot up to you more to like you know get better and train like not really because there's practice and stuff but you know I I really think you know you have to be extremely good like you can't there's not really that many mess ups that you can do and I, I just think one and done is a terrible thing and like Logan said, the teams in college basketball that win are these teams that have these players who keep on staying for four years. And so I really don't like, um, even in college football too, I mean, I know you have to stay more than one year, but then players who transfer or then stay off a year just train by themselves. I, I don't I don't like that, and I don't think it's a, something that college players should do. Um. Like, I just think of Wake Forest basketball and, like, what we could have been if all our, if our players didn't transfer or go to the draft early. Like, we had John Collins, who was a sophomore, who, like, after we went to the first four and got beat by Kansas State, you know, he went to the draft, too. I mean, he is a really good player right now, and so maybe I do respect that. But I just think if he would have stayed, because in the next year we had Jalen Horde, who um left us after one and done, which he really shouldn't. He didn't even make the starting lineup, but he was a really good recruit, but he didn't make the starting lineup. He's like, oh, I'm going to go pro. Like, that should have happened because then you think then last year we would have had, or maybe like the year before that, we would have had Jalen Horde, John Collins, a really good Brandon Childress, a couple other good players. Like, that would have been a team that could really be actually really good in college basketball. You know, because then we would also had like, Olivier Sarko off the bench and then a good sophomore, Shawnee Brown. You know, th which, you know, I guess, you know, I'm talking about Wake Forest as an example. But I just think of all the good players we could have had stayed. Because just imagine, Wake would have been a decent team in the ACC if Olivier Sar and Shawnee Brown stayed. You know, because Shawnee Brown turned out to be a really good star at Michigan. And I know we had a new coach and everything, but... I don't know, because I see this a lot at Wake, too, and big schools, is just players leaving. I really think players should stay, because you'll just get, I think, a better team. I don't know, I just think all these college players who transfer, or... I mean, transferring, like, sometimes that is a good thing, especially if your team really sucks. But, I don't know, I just don't like one-and-dones really that much, or, you know, not even playing. Like, with um, Sage Surratt, Wake Forest football wide receiver, who... I think is a first round talent. Like after a year where he was really good and in the Heisman running for a little bit and then he like hurt his shoulder pretty bad and had to have surgery. Like he should have come back the next year to play cuz he said he was, but then he said, "Oh, I'm not due to COVID concerns," which if you've seen that guy, I really think COVID should be scared of him instead, to be honest. But I think he had a lot to prove, but he decided to train just alone, which, I don't know, I think is dumb. So that's my rant in, in college sports. So, yeah. My, my proposed rule is they should just let people go straight out of high school, because some of these kids, they're not, they don't care about college, they, they, yeah. they just want to play for a year and then go. And some of these guys already, like, honestly, I mean, Zion, I mean, his team did good, but I feel like certain people like Zion Williams right, and Kate exactly. Cunningham, they, they can go straight out of high school. They're, they're good enough to be players, like, when they're 18. So I feel like if you put that rule in place and let them go straight out of high school, even if they're not good, they can still get their money, get what they're really after, because right. some of these guys will average, like, five points a season still go one and done. They don't care. Yeah. You put that rule in, you're going to have people who go to college because they genuinely want to, want to be there, want to get better. So I feel like they got to get that rule back, in my opinion, because the guys who are ready deserve to go ahead and go, like, not waste their time or 
give teams false hope and all that. So I feel like that could probably help out a few things. Right, and, you know, just like, it shouldn't be for every player, though, because I just think of Jalen Horde on Wake, who was a really good recruit. He was on, he was like our sixth man the whole season. And then he just goes to the draft. And I know he's in the NBA, like, he just signed with the Thunder, but, like, no one's heard of him. If he stayed for three or four years, who knows, man, he would be a really good basketball player in the NBA. But, you know, it's not for everyone, so... I think we talked about a lot here. I'm excited to see where college basketball is next season. I'm really excited for the tournament next year since there will be probably fan, like, full capacity for fans because, you know, in the tournament, like, there were still fans that you could hear, but it still wasn't enough, you know, to have the same atmosphere. Like, can you just imagine, Logan, if there was a full crowd for um, Gonzaga versus UCLA and Jalen Suggs hit that buzzer beater, how crazy that place would be? If you go back and watch, like, old sports clubs when there's fans, you just, it's so different than it is now. Like, these, like, I know there's, like, limited fans and virtual fans. It's just not the same. I hope we can have fans next year. That's what makes college basketball. The reason I prefer college basketball over the NBA is because half the time it's the fans. Yeah, Wait, NBA what? fans are terrible, except in the playoffs. Depends on the teams, though. Some NBA fans are great, but, yeah. like, if your NBA team is, no offense, not that good, your crowd's not that good. Like, there's yeah. no atmosphere. Like, I, I I can't stand Duke, but what what in the NBA is close to Cameron Indoor Stadium? You don't get anything nothing. like that. Yeah, there's and nothing I'm, close to that. And teams are even good. Like, you just look at a regular season NBA game. The crowd just isn't the same. Like, sure, it'll be, like, maybe a Wednesday night um, NBA game, but still, like, the atmosphere is just terrible, but then, you know, and you'd be like, well, it's a Wednesday night, but you look at Wednesday night, then at Cameron Indoor, there's still a ton of people there who are crazy fans, like, I, I, you're right, I just don't like the NBA regular season for part of that reason, so fans are lousy, but NBA playoff fans are good, but you're right, the atmosphere is just not the same, so, uh, we talked about a lot here on our sports segment this week on the Wasted Brain Cells podcast, uh, so we thank you for listening. Warning, for this movie slash TV segment on the Wasted Brain Cells podcast, there's going to be spoilers ahead for the movie Godzilla vs. Kong. Alright guys, so... Earlier this week, me and Logan both went to the movie theaters, like, it was like my first time going to the movie theater in over a year, and we went and watched the big movie, like, the first big movie of the year, Godzilla vs. King Kong, and let me tell you, um, at least we both thought it lived up to the hype, everyone was looking forward to it, um, there was a lot of memes going on, too, and a lot of internet trend of who was going to win, the spicy lizard or the big monkey. I'm going to be honest, I think it really lived up to the hype, and I think what everyone wanted in this movie was just to see some very good action, and that is really what we got. Um, Logan, what, what were you expecting going in? This is a Godzilla vs. King Kong movie. I don't need an elaborate plot. I don't need these humans making up some kind of good scheme. I don't care what the humans do. I don't care about the storyline. I just want to see a bunch of fights. I want a dumb, fun movie. That's all I want. Anyone who goes into this movie expecting some kind of masterpiece or some kind of brilliant story, 
you're stupid. Like, like stop. Like, <laughs> you're not looking for quality storylines here. We're looking to see two big monsters fight. I want to see big monster fight. That's all I wanted going in. As long as there was a bunch of big monster fights on a big screen, bunch of surround sound around me, Godzilla and King Kong just screaming at each other, fighting each other to the death. That's all I wanted. That was all I expected going in, and I think I think I got what I expected, so I can't really bash it. All right, and for those who, I guess, just have been living under a rock and don't really know what this movie is about, we'll just give you, like, a very brief summary. So, basically, um, also, to make it, like, a little bit less confusing, you also have to go watch Godzilla, King of the Monsters, the movie that happened before that, that's in this series. So, basically, um, there's all these, like, titans in the world, and basically in the last movie, Godzilla vs. King of the Monsters, Godzilla basically killed them all. Um, but also, King Kong is also a titan, and apparently, there's only one, like, titan monster that can, you know, be, like, supreme ruler, I guess, of the world. So basically, Godzilla and Kong really have to fight to the death to become that. So that's basically a brief summary. So I say we get, um, to what we liked about it. Now, I, I just found this out recently. I really, I thought, like, it was true, but there's, like, um, this monster verse that people are calling it that started with the Godzilla movie in 2014. So there was really a series that started with the Godzilla in 2014. I thought it started with the King Kong in 2005, but then I realized, um, uh, that King Kong, I think, died in that movie. So it starts with Godzilla. Wait, is that the one with Jack Black? Yes. Okay, that's not part of the Yeah, but it's not part of the it's not part of the monster verse. So it started with Godzilla and then he had um Kong Skull Island, which that movie was alright, but it, it it was kinda of bad in some parts. And then you had It knows what it that movie knows what it is, but we'll get to that later. That movie knows what it is. Yeah, uh, we won't talk about that, but uh, and then there was Godzilla vs. King of the Monsters, which um came out last year, and then Godzilla vs. Kong. And so I don't know if, like, there's any plans for, like, this monsterverse in the future. But anyways, this was the best uh, movie in that, in this franchise. And so what I really liked about this movie is, uh, unlike a lot of these other monsterverse movies, there wasn't a lot of character development, which I like because I'm going to be honest, in the past three movies, I haven't really liked many of the characters in them. And I really just think the acting isn't that great and the character development isn't that good. I like how in this movie it really mainly focused on King Kong versus Godzilla. And so I, I really liked how it explained a lot of what, like, happened in, like, the last couple of movies and why, you know, it's leading to Godzilla versus King Kong fighting. Because, like, in the beginning of the movie, there's, like, this bracket that really kind of happens where it's, like, showing all the monsters beforehand that King Kong or Godzilla have fought and killed in the past movies and you know how it kind of led up to this for like the two titans fighting so I really like how it explained how oh these past three movies led up to this movie which was really good and you know I just like how it really just focused on the fighting what did you like about the uh, movie Logan I thought it had way better pacing than King of the Monsters I feel like King of the Monsters was really slow at times like it felt like some of the scenes took forever. This movie doesn't waste time. Because pretty much like 30 minutes into the movie, you get a fight scene. Because remember, remember, as soon as they're... I mean, spoilers again. Once again, if you're listening and you don't want to be spoiled, click off on what you're still doing here. But do you remember like that one scene where they got King Kong on the boat? Right. And then that's like... That's quick into the movie. Like, we're 30 minutes in. They sing Godzilla in quick. Like, oh, right. who is that? The Godzilla. Like, we get, we get a fight scene quick. That's what we wanted. We came to get what we wanted, in my opinion. And I also, I also like how th this is King Kong's movie. 
Like, this is really his movie. This movie focuses on him. He's the he's pretty much the main character of this movie because they give him they give him kind of a not really character development. They give him like a personality per se. Like right. he has that connection with that girl. Who apparently he learned sign language, but we're just gonna ignore that. I mean, I don't know how. I don't know how a monkey just casually learned sign language and no one figured that out. But he actually has like development. He has like these feelings, and you get you get to see a side of King Kong you don't usually see. And I feel like that was really good for what they tried to do. But also, like I said, fight scenes were really good. Especially the zero gravity scene was pretty cool too with a uh, King Kong raising zero gravity and all that. I just feel like it gave me more of what I wanted. What I wanted from King of the Monsters: better pacing, better fight scenes. Bunch of destruction. I like how it didn't it didn't mess up. It didn't try to be something more than what it needed to be. It knew what it was. It knew what the fans wanted, and it delivered. It didn't try to be some masterpiece. It was a dumb fun movie, and I like how it, it did what it set out to be. It's everything it needed to be, and I. It was just an amazing thing. Like you got to see this on the big screen. It's a movie that deserves to be seen on the big screen in the theater. It's a great theater experience. Yeah, and um. I say now we turn to, like, something that we didn't like about the movie. Now, I'm going to be honest. I like most of what they did. I really think this movie was um, really good. But the thing I didn't like, which, you know, has happened in all four of these movies um, before, is that humans are stupid in these movies. I'm going to be honest. Because, like, you know, when they're taking um, King Kong on the boat, you know, it was like the um, one guy had, like, a theory that could work. It was like... um like the doc, uh, Dr. Nathan, I think was his name in the movie. And then you also have like, you know, the one um, lady who like adopted the one little Asian girl. And then you also have like that one doc, uh, person who was from like the, you know, the main company that was in that movie. I forget what it was called. Apex. Yeah. Apex. And Apex. it's like, uh, the CEO, like, his daughter is also on the ship. And, like, so they, they all three, like, have a few different views on what they should do with King Kong. So, like, the one guy, Dr. Nathan, like, he has his own, like, theory that, oh, we can take Godzilla to, like, um, this other part, you know, which was the Zero Gravity World, which I forget what it was called. But mainly, you know, G King Kong goes back to his roots, and, like, where his ancestors used to live. But... Anyways, that's besides the point. But anyways, these three characters just, you know, they have, like, different thoughts on what they should do with King Kong. You know, Dr. Nathan, like, they want to bring him, um, King Kong to this place where his ancestors used to be. And then the um, one lady who, like, kind of is, like, I guess the um, little Asian girl's mom, like, really just wants to make sure King Kong isn't hurt because she's studied King Kong for the past 11 years. And then there's, of course... The daughter of the CEO who's just greedy and wants money. It's like, you guys did King Kong to save the world, really. And you guys are just fighting over different theories of what you think should happen. Like, you're all so prideful. Like, you know, it's just their pride gets in the way. Which I guess some people, like, some movies like to show, you know, how, like, sometimes humans can be evil, I guess. But I, I don't know. I just really think, you know, if this was a real world situation, I don't think anyone's pride would be getting in the way because... It's like, oh, do I want to just, like, be right, or do I want the world to be saved? Like, let's be honest here. So, I mean, that that's why I don't like. Most of the humans in any of these past four movies are just not that good. But, meanwhile, I really like the characters, um, three characters that were, you know, looking into what Apex was doing. Which you have, um, like, 
their names were like Madison, Russell, and then you have that one dude who was like always scared of everything, Josh, and then um, Bernie Hayes, who's like the guy who works for Apex, who's undercover, like trying to find out what they do. Those three, like they they were kind of funny at times. So I really liked their storyline, but other than that, I don't know. I didn't like those three people who were on the boat. Like, oh, what should we do, with King Kong? Like. I don't know. The world's about to end. Was there anything that you didn't like about the movie, Logan? My main, uh, this isn't really an issue, but I feel like there was a missed opportunity. When they take King Kong to that place where it's like zero gravity and all that, and he's just floating in the right. air, we got some cool things of him destroying other monsters. I wish they could have put Godzilla and let him fight there. That would like have a been zero gravity, A zero gravity fight. The movie doesn't have to make sense. Like they, 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 It's not like we're trying to make anything make sense here. Just have that scene. That, that would have been cool. Just have a fight down there in that world. I feel like that was kind of a missed opportunity. The second storyline you mentioned, that's the one with Millie Bobby Brown, right? Yes. I don't mind those storylines in the film, like, because I don't really expect much out of it. I just feel like there was a little too much comic relief sometimes. Like, it, they kind of, like, Marvel does it too. They try to fit in some comic relief right now and then, but it's just not, it just doesn't work, and it's just kind of cringy sometimes. Right. Like, especially that dude, like, he got on my nerves. That would do with the long hair that Millie Bobby Brown is that with that one guy where he's supposed to be the hacker but he can't really do anything. Right. Why is he there? He does not. He's useless. Like he yeah. plays nothing. Like none of these. Like all these humans do is argue and all that stuff. Like he played no role. It just kind of that, those parts felt kind of cringe. But what? But I don't really mind it. I can overlook it. The okay. One that kind of bought. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just thought of something that was also dumb in the movie. So this is some spoilers near the end, but there's like this this uh, company Apex makes their own robotic Godzilla. Anyways, it starts beating the crap out of regular Godzilla, and so you know, um, the three characters who are like going behind the scenes, seeing what Apex is doing. You know, they have the one um, uh, dude Josh who like I guess those computers are like trying to find a way to stop. You know, they call him, like, I think, Mecha Godzilla, And, like, literally, all he does to stop the um, Mecha Godzilla for one second is they pour coffee all over the computer system. Like, really? The people who made this Mecha Godzilla, they didn't think of that, like, to stop? I, I just thought it was so stupid. Oh, let me pour coffee on it. Like, what? That's really how, like, they stopped Mecha Godzilla for one second? Was it coffee or that bottle of whiskey that guy had? Oh, it was a bottle, bottle of whiskey yeah, that his, guy it had, was yeah. His, like, he just had that whiskey on him because his wife and all that, and that was just some random thing that worked in the end, yeah. Like, what? That, that's really what it comes down to? That was kind of stupid, I thought. I thought you were going to get into the whole Mecha Godzilla thing, because Brad did call what would happen at the end of this movie. He, he called it. I'll yes. Give that. He, he called it. So, basically, he called yeah, it. um, there was a movie that came out a couple years ago, terrible movie, Batman versus superman and i uh, and what happened in this movie is you know uh spoilers if you haven't seen this movie but don't watch this movie it kind of sucks but in in batman's about to really kill superman like he got the kryptonite and everything but then there's like this huge giant monster that comes from like a different planet or something i can't remember exactly and so then you know batman has to you know get the kryptonite off of Superman, and they both have to fight this thing, and so they don't end up killing each other, but fighting this thing. And so, really, when you have, like, two characters fighting each other in any movie, this is really what happens. So, this Mecha Godzilla, after Godzilla beat the crap out of Kong, now Godzilla is having to fight this, like, robot Mecha Godzilla, and then this Mecha Godzilla just beats the crap out of 
Godzilla, and so then they have to get Kong to help fight the Mecha Godzilla too, and so then they have to team up and fight this thing, so they'll end up just fighting each other, and then they have to fight this Mecha Godzilla, which I understand why they do that in a lot of these um movies where you have two characters versing each other, because like you know there's people who like both of the characters, but I'm going to be honest with the future if there's like a movie where you have two characters uh, fighting each other, let's make it where one actually wins and kills the other. I don't know, I think that'd be interesting. Mm. I, I don't think Hollywood would do that, but I mean, I called the ending that that would happen. Like, there'd be something else that Godzilla and Kong would have to fight together. I mean, you say there's no winner, but I think King, I mean, I think Godzilla won. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I think if you go off the fights, God's because remember they were like, oh, like, round one goes to Godzilla, round two goes to Kong. Then Godzilla just destroys him, starts tearing him apart, starts ripping him. Yeah. Yeah, but Godzilla won. Right, and I understand that, like, you can say Godzilla won, but I I want, like, an actual one of these movies where, like, it's just the two fight each other and then one just, you know, ends up, you know, just clearly winning and kills the other. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, Godzilla versus Kong. It could be, like, two, like, characters fighting each other. I don't know. How how long did they fight? Batman versus Superman was long. How long were they actually fighting each other? Not long. That's what made this yeah. movie terrible. It yeah. was a long, like, two-and-a-half-hour movie, and it's just mainly, you know, all the stuff leading up to the fight, which in these past DC movies, Batman vs. Superman, I haven't, I haven't watched uh, Man of Steel, but then you had, like, Justice League and a couple of these movies that were just terrible, because, I, I don't know, the actresses didn't work together well, but yeah, this Superman versus Batman it was terrible, because it was just all what what's leading up to having them fight and stuff for, like, you know, like, an hour and a half, and then you have, like, them fight for the, like, last hour. But it's like, oh my gosh, this character development, I just want to fall asleep. This movie is terrible. Just get to the fighting already. They, which they is something... Brothers, which is so- trying. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be honest. This was, this was a step in the right direction for Warner Brothers. Yes, so. it was. It really was. This movie was really good. They're trying to get the DC right. Warner Brothers, right. They, they're trying to. They're, they're rebooting the whole thing again. Because remember we saw the trailer for The Suicide Squad? Yeah. I think they're trying. I gotta have, they're trying to bring it back. I don't like when DC tries to be Marvel, though. Yeah, Because it doesn't... They need to be different. They're both good in their own aspects. They need to just both do their own thing. Right. But like I said, Warner Brothers is trying. And I feel like that's what I like about this. You actually got... This movie just focuses on them fighting. There's like no exactly. development. Exactly. Except when they try to make me feel... Remember when they try to make you feel sorry for that one dude where you think he's gonna die and it's like, I don't even know this dude's name. I, I'm not sad. Yeah, Dr. Whatever Nathan Yeah, I was like, I was like... No one cares about this character. I was, like, I was like, I don't even... I was like, I was like Thanos. I don't even know who you are. Like, yeah, like, everyone was just like, let this dude just revive King Kong. That's all we care about for him. If he dies, who cares? We only care about King Kong. Which I kind of liked about this movie. It's like, you know, they tried to, like, throw in a little character development in there. It's like, no one cares if this guy dies. No one knows what his name is. That's what I like about this movie, is it focuses on the fighting. Like, I... Before this episode, I had to, like, Google people's names, and you can tell I don't remember some of the characters' names, just because the characters are irrelevant to this movie. Let's be real. Um, so now, Logan, I say we transfer to what our favorite scene was in this movie. Now, for me, is when they go into, like, the zero-gravity place, which I, I remember is the Hollow Earth, which, you know, which is a... Th- you know, what the scientists find out is where all these, like, titans used to live, you know, it's like, it's like in the center of the earth, and it's like, I don't know, like, 
I don't remember all that talked about, like, why it was zero gravity. But anyways, this is where, like, all of Kong's ancestors used to be. And so he goes to this place, you know, after being, like, stuck in uh, Skull Island forever. And, you know, he finds, like, this cave where it's, like, his where his ancestors used to live. And he finds, like, the battle axe that has, you know, kind of, like, the nuclear power that Godzilla has. And so I really like that scene, you know, because it, like, gives us a little bit more background on King Kong you know, in his origins, and he actually, you know, gets a weapon that can actually help him defeat, um, Godzilla, which I really like that part, you know, it just helped me understand more of Kong's backstory, and really, it, it was also cool, because then Godzilla knows where Kong kind of is, and so he just goes to Hong Kong, and then just starts breathing his nuclear breath, like, downward, and then digs a hole right down to where Godzilla was, which that was also pretty cool, you know, so, that was my favorite scene, because the Zero Gravity place was really cool, too. But like Logan said, it would have been cooler if, like, after Godzilla, you know, made the hole to get down there, if Godzilla just jumped down there and they just start fighting down there. But yet, in Godzilla fashion, you know, he has to fight, um, a he has to destroy a city in Asia, you know, versus Tokyo now. Hong Kong is just into pieces, like, good luck building your infrastructure and buildings back again, Hong Kong, your, your city is just to pieces, like, thanks Godzilla, like, golly, you're just, all the billions and trillions of dollars you just wasted here, <laughs> so what was your favorite scene, Logan, in the movie? I'm gonna go the Hong Kong fight scene, like, how, lit, like, how it was at night and all the buildings lit up and then you just seem absolutely get destroyed, by Godzilla and King Kong, because I, I feel like that was the best fight scene. I mean, that was... I mean, Kong technically won that fight, but then Godzilla kind of got him at the end, but... I feel that was the best fight scene, in my opinion, right. the best action right there. I'm not going to pick the end fight scene, because I feel like I came for Godzilla versus Kong. That was the best fight scene, not in my opinion. Mecha Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I didn't come to see Mecha Godzilla, but I didn't mind, I didn't mind that storyline really that, that much, to be honest, but... Right. We get to that fight scene, and I love how Brad brings up that point. It's like Marvel movies, like, oh, we did, we saved the world, but then you got the whole city on fire. Yeah, this the movie. is gone. It's like we saved the world. They don't even care about repairing these buildings and like these yeah, people all the government, all the government officials, like our infrastructure is gone. Or the people that were probably innocent people that were just murdered in those uh, skyscrapers. Right, right. You know, oh, we saved the world, but let's just ignore the part when Godzilla swung around his tail and took out, like, half of skyscrapers. Like, okay, you know, probably thousands of people just died when he did that. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter. that They didn't show it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, we'll just ignore the thousands of people who just died here. Yeah, go monsters. Destroy Hong Kong. We saved the world, but, you know, probably just about 100,000 people just died in the process. <laughs> So, you know, Logan, it comes down to it. I say we give our rating of the movie. So, t according to Rotten Tomatoes, you know, the critic score was 75%. It was certified fresh Rotten Tomatoes. And the audience score was a 92%, Logan. So, what is, um, what is your score of the movie? Just to be clear, the rating system is simple. We're going to rate it out of 10. Just that, That's how right. we rate movies here. Out of 10, it's simple rating. And we do do decimals here. Well, I try not to do, like, point twos or point threes. I usually try to do, like, a point five. All right. I'm, first of all, going to give a shout-out to this. This is the worst article I think I've ever read in my life. In GQ, Stuart McGurk writes, Godzilla vs. Kong might be the worst film ever made. What? 
How are you a movie critic? This is not the worst movie. God, no. I've seen so many movies worse. Like, Has this guy seen Shark Sharknado? Has it? <laughs> Which, I mean, it's not a bad movie. It's a cinematic masterpiece. It no, it's not. Don't watch I don't, watch I don't get Sharknado. how you can review movies and have that opinion. Because, God, there's like thousands of films worse than this. this is yeah, a good this movie. movie was really good. Compared to all the other movies in the monsterverse like he should be just destroying yeah, those ones he should be like this is the best monster yeah movie. if he says this is the worst movie ever made then he should just burn the other three the godzilla um and then kong skull island and then godzilla king of the monsters you should just burn those if that's your opinion and you got this rotten tomatoes right rating 75 audience score 92. right yeah I don't I'll trust just... Rotten Tomatoes anymore. I think that sometimes they have some biases. And they yeah, really they do reviews. have biases. They, didn't Disney pay like Rotten Tomatoes to delete Captain Marvel reviews or something? Like there was a whole big Possibly. thing with Captain Marvel's audience score. I mean, but that movie so, was terrible. The movie was not that good. But we'll get to the point. I'm shocked this got a 75 critic score because I thought they were gonna bash right. this because that's what critics always do. I'm not shocked. 92% audience score. They know what they want. I'm gonna go ahead and give my rating right now. Out of 10, I give it an 8 out of 10. This is a definite must-see, especially if you haven't been to theater in a while. Go see this on the big screen. You won't regret it. I mean, I, I, of course, it's going to be hard to get like a 9 or a 10 or something like that. But it's an 8. It's a very enjoyable movie. I give this, like I said, 8 out of 10. Very enjoyable. Definitely would recommend. And I don't see how this could ever be the worst movie ever made. Because people, this was, did you ever see the 2014 Godzilla? Yeah. That, that, was that's okay. all right. He it was, was barely okay. in the movie. He yeah, was that is true. That's what I'm saying. Like, people want this. What do people want? I know what movie critics need to realize what movies are. Not there's. A, you need to have a balance in the cinematic world. Not everything is a Martin Scorsese masterpiece. You need right. to have balance in the film industry. These blockbusters and these Oscar films are good for balancing stuff out. Not every film has to be an Oscar movie. No one wants to see a serious movie every time. Yeah. It's just for fun. It's a good eight out of ten. Good fun movie. Would recommend. If you're going for something serious, I don't know why you just can't accept that movies have to be fun sometimes. Right. And when it comes to movies, like Logan said, sometimes, you know, you want some of those serious movies that actually, like, you know, are about life and, like, actually go over, you know, real things, you know, movies to think about. But then also sometimes, you know, you just need a movie to just connect from reality and just watch something just for enjoyment that, you know, it doesn't make sense and won't happen in reality, but it's just you know, great to watch, like, a superhero movie, or this movie, and like Logan said, I'm gonna give it an 8 out of 10, because it doesn't really focus at all on the character development, and gives what the people want, Godzilla versus King Kong, you know, just a bunch of animated, you know, I mean, computer-generated stuff of just great special effects, you know, showing what we use technology for, special effects to watch two giant monsters fight, you know, we could be, well, I mean, we do use technology for, like, a lot of good and medicine and stuff, but, yeah, we need technology to build, you know, Godzilla and King Kong fight each other, which, you know, is a great use of technology, if I do say so myself, which, you know, that's what the movie was here for, so I give it an 8 out of 10. The other two, like, I take off for is, you know, it's like any other Versus movie I've watched, in, in the end, like, the two team up and fight something else. And also, just the humans ruin stuff in this movie. Like, the humans in these movies are just so stupid. But, 8 out of 10, it was great fights. You know, really, like, brought a lot of, like, this monster verse together. It's 8 out of 10.
So that's going to conclude um, this week's Waste of Brain Cells podcast. Um, me and Logan were very excited. This is like the first movie we've really reviewed on this podcast. We've talked about movies before, um, but this is the first one we um, ever reviewed. And now, like, that's starting to become more safe to go to the movie theater now that um, COVID isn't super bad. People are getting vaccines. Me and Logan are you know, really focused, you know, on future episodes to reviewing new movies that are coming out. And, hey, we'll, we also want to review some old movies that we've watched. So, you know, I, I'm really excited for, like, our movie TV section going forward. You know, we can really talk about things that we want to talk about. So, yeah. And if anyone has any ideas for things we should review, as always, just tell us on Instagram. But, yeah. If you know a good movie, please tell me. Also, if you know a bad movie, please tell me. Sometimes I like reviewing bad movies just to see how bad it can truly right. be. Right, exactly. Like I said, well, we might review some good movies, some bad movies, try to go to the theater some more. Even, like, new stuff on streaming we're going to try to get a hold of. So right. probably the future of this probably the future of this show is going to be a lot of movie reviews straight up because that's just what we like to do here. Right. So thank you for listening to this week's Voice of Brain Cells podcast. Well, that's the show. Thank you for listening. As always, follow us on Ways of Brain Cells Pod. Now that the main um, sports that me and Logan follow are now over, we got a lot more freedom to do other things. We know how much you guys like when we go over food, so we're definitely going to go do new things with food here in the future. Um, also, we hope to do a lot more movie reviews on new movies that are coming out and um, old movies that, you know, on m shows and movies that me and Logan deeply enjoy. We hope to do some reviews on that as well. You know, me and Logan are both hyped now that movies are starting to come out. Movie theaters are starting to open. This is great because I'm going to be honest, 2020 was a dark time because there wasn't really any new movies and stuff coming out, so excited to do new things here on the podcast we thank you for listening